it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Stromash, the podcast of the NFL Scotland team. It's going to be about all things north and one thing going south. We'll be looking at the AFC North, the NFC North and the San Francisco quarterback situations. If you want the definition of going south, that is the very thing. I am joined by two handsome bearded gentlemen, Charles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness. Gentlemen, good evening. So much to talk about. So many stories. We're going to talk about the North, but let's talk about the movement South first of all. Our dear friend Cameron Hobbs can't be with us this evening. He's on holiday in Isla and he's mm. having to drink whiskey. Yeah, he's having to drink whiskey <laughs> to drown his sorrows. Uh-huh. Sam Darnold has done the unthinkable, Charles. Well, just to kind of put into context where Cameron Hobbs is right about now, he is, according to a picture we've just had on our WhatsApp group, somewhere in Distillery Warehouse Number 9 at Budahaban, which is on the northeast coast of Isla. And according to him, he is eight whiskeys deep and with a shit signal, so he is going to save his think this may have been fair to call him a mistake chat until next week. <laughs> so there you go. There's the context. Um, so but we don't timing need is, to wait until next week. We don't need to wait till next week. This is a rare event where you and I are uh, united in joy. Um, there's nothing like timing, is there? Because this dropped about an hour ago before we started recording and the fact that um, the Niners have put Sam Darnold at number two on the depth chart. And... Uh, I think it begs the question, um, is this one of the worst first-round picks in history? I mean, yes, almost definitely. The The thing I hate about this is that it's pretty unfortunate for Lance. So, like, that that's the part I get out of the way. Like, the, his, the yeah. COVID year and his injury. COVID year, they sat him for a year, and then he got injured. So, basically, all his development was just, like, ruined based on that alone. Take out the pity I have for, for Sam Darnold. And I also don't think the 49ers process in drafting him was particularly wrong. But the cold, hard reality is when you give up that much to go up and get a quarterback and three years later, the the story that's coming out, I think it's Mike Silver has said that they haven't even been offered a fifth round pick in the trade for him, which tells you all you need to know about his trade value right now. So... I mean, someone's definitely going to pick him up, but it, it's not. It's it not stinks. A, yeah, it's not well, they, a good situation for the. So they traded up from the number twelve pick all the way up to number three with the Dolphins. So the Dolphins got that first round pick uh, in return. They also got first rounders in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, and a third rounder. So they, I mean, we, oh, we keep winding Cameron up. They did kind of mortgage the house a little bit, and actually they've gone through these picks. You know what's kind of the wild? other side? Yeah, what's kind of wild is like this. We we are talking about like a Jamarcus Russell esque bad first round pick, bad top five pick in terms of like you've given up so much, you've got effectively nothing to show for it. But because of their offensive system because they hit on Brock Purdy, who is good enough to be functional in that system. I I still don't rate him as highly as a lot of other people do. But because of those two things... They've got away with it. it do, yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a big deal that they're, that they're, uh, um, that, that they, you know, 
lost what they lost on that trade because they're still in a pretty good spot. Right. So, so answer me this, gents. You, you know, you you work for a franchise in the NFL. Your general manager. You've got all your scouting staff. How can a guy that's been picked at three be beaten out by a guy picked at two six two? What, so, what's the what's the point of having these people? So, but he was always going to be a developmental quarterback. So it was always going to take time for him to develop. The issue is, is that the mistake of his. That you well, the mistake yeah. on his end was probably, I, I don't even think it was a mistake because you've got to look, you've got to almost look at it in different sections. So, I think he still had eligibility in college that he could have gone back for his senior year, or junior year possibly at that point. He was like a true junior or something. Anyway, he had eligibility left, so he could have come out. He could have went back to school and he would have got more experience in school. Flip side to that equation for him though is, he was good enough to be drafted third overall which gets a lot of money in his bank account and he's effectively set up for life on that front. But then he gets into the NFL. I think sitting him for year one was generally the right idea anyway, but then he gets injured. And at that point, you know, he's any any progress he might have made up until that point is gone. The, the other reality is though, like, and this is drafting is not an exact science. That's why quarterbacks that go number one overall go in the top five, don't always work out. But, like, he just might not be an NFL-caliber quarterback. Like, that's not... I, I don't yeah. think that's a disqualifying factor for their scouts. He'd hardly thrown any balls. Yeah. This is the this is, this is is the big thing. I, I remember, if you rewind two and a half years, the big debate about who San Francisco were going to go for as soon as they flipped up to number three was, are they going to go for him or are they going to go for Mac Jones? And that was the... The, the call and Mac Jones slid all the way to the Patriots and everybody thought that's they've got a steal there. But there was this great unknown debate. And do you know what? They made it all smoke and mirrors and it became a storyline in itself that they weren't revealing who it was. And then there was this debate about did Kyle Shanahan want one one person and John Lynch want someone else? But the bottom line was that Trey Lance had never thrown any passes. There was no numbers there. He had no reps really. And they were basically buying, as you said, a project, a developmental idea, and somebody who almost was going to be this perfect vision of what this offensive system could be. Now, I've made no mistake about my dislike on this podcast for Shanahan in various ways, but he was seen as the archetypal perfect quarterback to fit into the Shanahan offense because of his ability to run, his physical power. He can't throw the ball. So I, I I will say there's a little bit of revisionist history because so I loved the Trey Lance pick because I thought this was like the final evolution of the Shanahan offense, which is you know you've got this you've got all this uh, stuff that's schemed it's really good at scheming guys open, manufacturing touches for running backs slash wide receivers and the Debo Samuel mold all those things, and I thought you had a Russian quarterback in there alongside that, and I don't know how you stop that. What's quite interesting is like two years after this pick, it kind of just looks like the best fit for a Shanahan offense is someone who is frankly boring, is not going to... So the reason why Garoppolo worked in San Francisco... Because he's boring. He's yeah. like, he's dull as, as ditch for. As a quarterback, handsome son of a gun, but as a quarterback, <laughs> dreadfully boring. Like he is not... All, all that offense needs you to do is it's going to create layups for you. It's hit the layups. 
hit the layups consistently, and that's what Brock Purdy was able to do. Sam Darnold, I think, probably is a better fit to do that than Trey Lance, which is why that kind of makes sense there. So I I will be intrigued because he is young enough that he could land somewhere and you give him some time to develop to develop in the right system. Like if you land in like with the Giants and with Brian Dable, like we've already seen him elevate Daniel Jones. And he's a better quarterback in theory. Just perhaps than Daniel Jones, but we nobody knows because he's not yeah. thrown enough balls. He has you can actually go back. Let's, mm. let's let's find the numbers and you can see how far how many passes he threw in like a in a competitive sense in a in a particular span. It it just wasn't much at all. Like So what while you're looking that up, so you know, I throw it back to you know, Josh Rosen was a, a top ten pick, round one pick for um Arizona. Mm. Yeah. So he's now so he's gone through Arizona, he lasted a year, off to Miami, the Bucks practice squad, the 49ers, the Falcons, and he's been on the Browns and the Vikings practice squad. You know, and that's a top ten pick and how highly he was rated. Yeah, we get it's not an exact science. Charles, talk about Darnold. Darnold went to Carolina. You got any idea? Because this surprised me what his record was as a starter. It wasn't bad from what I can recall. It wasn't yeah. as bad as it was in uh, he, New York. He was he was bad though. Like he had a couple of bad. good games. <laughs> he, had he had a couple of good games in Carolina. I, I I was stunned. I looked at it and it's four and two. Now mm. you would normally not chase a four and two quarterback out the building uh, when you're Carolina, but he, he didn't play particularly well. I think that's. I mean, we forget that there. Sam Darnold was a he was a number two pick as well. Yeah, um, yeah, he's and, a high high. Pick. And then his his successor in New York was also number two pick. Um, same draft as Lance. Same also. draft as Lance. They were, you know, and then look what's happened to him. He's now having to sit back at Aaron Rodgers. Now the thing for me is though, if you believe, if you have got that much belief that you have a perfect system, um, which I think Kyle Shanahan does, and a lot of people around the league believe it is almost the it's an unstoppable offensive system. How can you get that wrong? I think there's got to be a lot of question marks about that scouting network in in San Francisco. What was it that made them think that Trey Lance was going to be a better bet, or were they did they just reach for the an apple that was way too high on the tree? Maybe they were just looking for some kind of utopia, and they've probably well, realised, well, as you just possibly, said, yeah. you need a boring quarterback. Well, Actually, we can't. I mean, they could have gone for, you know. Let's say, for example, an Anthony Richardson type had been available at that time. I mean, he's almost a kind of hyped up version of what Trey Lance was. Perhaps somebody not dissimilar. Yeah. But, but let's say, so like, so the Shanahan offense, you know, like just needs somewhere to take the layups. That being said, if you hit on a Patrick Mahomes type prospect or a Joe Burrow type prospect, it probably does elevate it significantly further. Mm. So if you look at the quarterbacks in that class, I don't know that they made like after that was the Trevor Lawrence class, right? Was it? Mm, no, it wasn't. No, no it wasn't. It was he was Justin, the year before. Yeah, Justin Fields class and um, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Yep. I don't know that there was a good choice if you were taking a quarterback there with the benefit of hindsight, like in how those guys have developed. So, like, it's a bit of a kind of hindsight thing. Whereas if you know, if one of those quarterbacks had been someone that would have taken that offense and elevated it. But to your point earlier, by the way, so 2019, he threw 288 passes. The following year, he only threw 30 because it was the uh, COVID year. COVID year, And then when he got to the NFL. He threw in, 700 passes or something like that. 
Yeah. He's thrown for 797 yards in it, two seasons. It, yeah, in the, in the regular season, he he had 102 passes in two years with the 49ers. So, like, there's just not... It, it's, it's easy to see, like, and that's a 23-year-old. So that's four years of... Three years, sorry, of not that much in the way of passing. So the last time he actually had a consistent volume of throwing passes in a in a competitive football game, he was just twenty years old, and he's now pushing twenty four. Well, it's the, big, the biggest question in this for me is how is Cameron going to defend this pick at all, or is he as as he resigned? He'll he'll have he'll have resigned. Well, not not resigned from the podcast. He will be resigned. He will be resigned to this because he did say like the only way that I think he was willing to accept this was that if they got something back in return. I, 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 it's hard to be too harsh outside of taking the piss out of Cameron, which that's easy. Requires it's easy to do it. For I'm sorry. It's just so easy. <laughs> the amount of shit I've taken on this podcast about Jordan Love, and he's actually yeah. starting now. <laughs> but what would be well, interesting to see, though, is if... So let's imagine a world whereby the 49ers don't draft Brock Purdy a year ago. At that point, does Darnold definitely win the job over Trey Lance this year? I don't know that that necessarily would happen, because at that point, you actually have... Uh, like a reason and motivation to develop him further and play him and see what you have and all those things. So that's why it's not, the whole thing's quite a kind of up and down thing. Anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, just, just to finish that off, one, I'm not sure because I, even if Darnold wasn't there, do you want to hand the keys to someone that could screw up your whole season? So that's one point, but I, mean, I still Sam think Darnold that, can screw up, can screw I, up absolutely, anyone's season. I guarantee you that. <laughs> absolutely. But I, I think it's negligence drafting somebody as the number three player in the draft that basically had one year at college. Mm. And that was it. I think, I think that's negligence, but hey-ho. Well, let, let's move Joe, on. Because, Joe, Burrow yeah. had, Joe Burrow had one good year, went number one yeah. overall, and he's it works. I, back in the league. Mm. Yeah. We can have another pop at this next week. There's, we're doing the West next week, aren't we? That's helpful. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have a pop at other quarterbacks at the moment. I mean, I mean, imagine having a a Hall of Fame quarterback, an MVP quarterback, and you're going to annoy him by drafting someone. Are they any good or not? Charles, we're going to start with the North. This is the year where we find out whether Jordan Love's any good. Yes? No? Uh, oh, are we straight into the NFC North? Cool, right. Yeah, um, let's do it. Um, yeah, I think we do find out whether he's any good or not. And I'm actually, I think... I think it would be fair to say everybody's quite intrigued as to what's going to happen because if you put, put Green Bay to one side for 10 seconds, if you were to go out there and say to the majority of the NFL fandom, who's going to win the NFC North? If you asked 100 people, I think you'd probably get no more than about 30 people picking one team. It's a completely wide open division on paper. Oh, not according to the amount of noise that Detroit have had. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I don't know what Green Bay are going to produce. I haven't got a clue, and I'm quite looking forward to the unknown of it. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit up and down. Um, I think as there's a lot of unknowns about Minnesota this year because they've obviously fired Zimmer um, and not quite sure what's going to come on come from them. I don't think we quite know, and we there's been a lot of hype coming out of Chicago and Detroit, but we don't quite know what Chicago are going to do with a lot of more offensive pieces. And Detroit are actually under pressure potentially as favourites to win the division. So there's a lot of 
great sort of question marks about the NFC North. And because of that, I, I, I see Green Bay as being quite easily written off because Rodgers has left and Love is now the quarterback. We know it's a quarterback-driven league, but what we also know is that average quarterbacks can be carried by the rest of the rosters. We've seen it time and time and time again. And I don't think that there's anything to say that actually with a bit of good coaching that that can't happen in Green Bay. I've watched a little bit of the preseason um, and Jordan Love's had a wee bit of time um, behind centre, a couple of series, and he's looked pretty good. But it's now or never, really. And they've managed to get a contractual situation for him that it suits both parties, I think. So he's he knows he's got to deliver. Otherwise, they're in a position whereby they can go out and draft someone next year. So... I'm quite optimistic about the season because actually it's uh, there's no drama. Oh, oh. <laughs> there'll be drama. Don't worry. Oh, no, there won't be. Form. There'll be drama. Won't Gordon, be drama. My, my, my question to you is a simple one. If Aaron Rodgers was still at Green Bay, is it Green Bay's division and everybody else? No. Is it only because he's gone? So if you don't agree with that, tell me why not. Because the, the other t- it wasn't Green Bay's division last year when he was there. So it was Minnesota's mm. division in a relative cakewalk last year. Mm. So, no, I, I, I think it is a it's a very tough division to call, um, but it's really intriguing because the faults or the the reason why you doubt the different teams makes them actually quite interesting. So, I doubt the Lions because I just don't see it with Jared Goff and I just don't I, I think last season is like the peak that you get from Goff I think this season you're more than likely not going to see that and that brings the whole roster down they've messed on Jamison Williams as a draft pick they've then gone and spent a draft pick on Jameer Gibbs I think Jack Campbell looks pretty good but I don't even know how much he's going to play early on because Alex Anzalone I think is the guy with the green dot on defence and all those various different things like I think Jack Campbell could be really good but don't know how much a linebacker moves that team forward but you know they were just one win away from the playoffs a year ago uh the packers i think are going to be better than people thought because i think jordan love is going to be better than people thought including you uh i probably (laughs) probably because it probably goes back to like the the trey lands thing in the sense of like it had been so long since he'd been drafted what i will say though is you need to find out this year you you basically Mm. You need to find it this year because you have to pay them. Like, yep. have they have they exercised? The, did they need? No, they didn't exercise the fifth year option. So but like what they, they did do, they essentially gave him a one year contract extension. That's right. That was it. Yes. It's a unique situation which suits the Packers down to a T and puts gives mon- it gives Love some money. And also, but it make it puts him under pressure to perform. You, you can you can hit him with a franchise tag if he's good next year. So you're so you're fine. It's just you do need to find out quickly how good he is so that you can make your decisions on your own. Yeah, there's a danger, I think, that they could get into a situation where the, what Washington had with Cousins, where they keep giving him franchise tags, and you don't really want that. Um, no. And he's not proved anything, and he's not shown that he's a, a complete turd either. So I think it's interesting. Chicago is the one for me that I think fascinating, because they've got they've signed DJ Moore, they've got Darnell Mooney, um, they've got Cole Kmet, and they've got Herbert in the backfield, and there's been hype that Fields is perhaps the next great American quarterback. What? I read this article about Justin Fields being the savior of Chicago. Nothing 
I have seen has suggested that he and or, or that he, and also that he could break Lamar's rushing record. I mean, he almost did last year. So like, yeah, and I, be also be a good quarterback. What? Well, okay, the the be a good quarterback thing, fine, but. Lamar's rookie season, he didn't look like a good quarterback. He looked like a good rushing threat, and that was it. And then year two, led the NFL in touchdown passes. Now, I don't know or necessarily think you're going to see the same from from field, but the the floor that they should have as an offense based on his rushing skills does elevate them. I think immediately into the conversation of like a playoff contender. I think they're a step. I think they're a step below the other three teams in terms of competing for the division. But in the NFC, this is this is going to be my catchphrase of the off season. In the NFC, there's one team that are not in contention for a six or seven seed, and that's the Cardinals. If you're if you're another NFC team and you don't think you're competing for the wild card, outside of the team whose starting quarterback is probably missing half the year, then I, I your roster you must have zero faith in it because there's no way that conference is locked up through seven seeds. One of the interesting things is that the Bears-Packers, I don't know, because it's not my division, it's always been a fixture. In recent years, I've sort of shrugged at, but it gets a sort of 9.25 slot. Um, It's going to be a big game. Bears-Packers, how much, I mean, everybody will overreact to this game no matter which way it goes, but that's the danger, I guess. I think we'll learn so much more. I mean, the Packers start with the Bears, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Lions, and then the Raiders. If they're 4-1 and one after that, I think they're they're in a good, good place. Obviously, they'll lose to the Saints. That's what I meant by that. Um, but if they get off to a slow start, it's going to be something different. So I think that actually, you know, I think we can overreact to week one games, Charles, but I think it's a really important game for you, week one. I think it's an important game for both teams because the Bears have been hyping themselves up as a potential division winner. And I don't, th- I think you'll see Green Bay playing themselves down quite a lot going into that game. Um, there's no, I mean, it's on the road, you know, it's one of those where, but I think it's quite good that Jordan loves away from home first couple of weeks. I think that's, Suits him, suits him down at the ground because if things start going wrong um, and you're at Lambeau then you're going to hear it because the whole debate over the last two or three years has been that they've been they've choked in the playoffs at home they've not been able to to handle the pressure of being arguably the best team in the NFC over the last three or four years now it's all new and fresh they, there is there is genuine excuse here to say you know what we're in transition my view of what I expect this year of Green Bay is I expect them to be around about 500. And if they are, then I think Jordan Love has probably justified another year. And with that roster, I think that you can look realistically at winning the division next year. Um, they've made a, you know, I think they've drafted quite well the last two years. The two receivers that were drafted last year, Watson and Dobbs, were proved in different parts of the season that they can certainly... They've got the youngest receiving core in the league by a country mile. And that's the really interesting part, is can he throw to these receivers? They've got this drafted two tight ends. And, uh, and they're going to use Musgrave a lot, I think. Yeah. So Musgrave's effectively, I think, going to be the third wide receiver there, I think. Yeah. And they've got... And they, we, we, we also forget, when everybody's fit, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. 
and well, they've also got but, but, Bakhtiari, but, Elton well, Jenkins. Well, 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 Bakhtiari be there. So we that's just don't. The, we just don't know. We I, don't know on I, on paper. I have a feeling that the Jets are going to make a push for Bakhtiari, and I. So this is what I think will be really interesting in the next few days. I think the Jets are going to make a push because I think I read that they did make a push and the Packers said no. Mm. There is the weird thing of Aaron and his friends. Whereby if oh, Bakhtiari, God. if Bakhtiari <laughs> really wants to play with Aaron Rodgers, he's just going to go. Come on, guys, trade me, and eventually yep. there's a you know there's a pick that is exchanged. Where I would be like bullish on the Packers as well as they've drafted well on defense. That like their draft this year, I really liked some of the players. I think Lucas Van Ness can be a really good player for them quite early on. Um, even guys like Carl Brooks was a guy they got in the sixth round. And he's like a weird fit whereby he played more as an edge defender in college, but he's like three technique defensive tackle size. But he's looked good in preseason. Yeah, like look like he can be effective both as a pass rusher and against the run. All these little things that, you know, they all kind of add up a little bit. And they, you know, if Quay Walker takes a step forward at linebacker, all those things. If Trey, if if Trey Lance, God, that's bad. If Jordan, <laughs> if Jordan Love plays That's well a Freudian enough, slip, isn't yeah. it? Given all that we've discussed over the last three years. If Jordan Love plays well enough this season, whereby he is a franchise tag candidate or he's in the, the contract that Daniel Jones got this year, which was effectively just like, we don't want to have you franchise, so here's this here's this deal that's a reasonable amount. Then I think the Packers are in the conversation to win that division this year, mm. not next year. So, Charles, are you not concerned about your wonderful number 69 who tweeted, was it yesterday, oh, just four days ago, serious question, do I have any chemist following me? Which was the weirdest tweet I think I've seen from a football player in a long, long time. You mean you've not seen um, Trevon Diggs' tweets this week? Well, yeah, well I, I might expect it from... Trevon Are we allowed Diggs to talk time. about that? We, uh, we, we'll come back to that. Let's just stay where we are. Let's talk about the, the, the Vikings. Um, the, the Vikings obviously won the division. They've got a tough schedule, but they won, they won close. Uh, they know, won they 10 games, games, Paul. Yeah. 10 yeah. games by seven points or less. Now, do you either have the the, the church bat to go and do that? Do you have the balls to say we're going to win no matter what? But how do you overcome a team that 28th in points allowed, 31st in yards allowed? That's going to catch up on you at some point. Yeah, and, and you know, they won so many games in nail-biters and... There were so many games where Justin Jefferson just almost single-handedly led them to the point whereby they could close that victory out. I mean, it, I, I hate to say that actually if you can somehow isolate Justin Jefferson, you're going to beat them. But actually, Green Bay proved that in the, a game right towards the end of the season when Alexander basically shut him out all day. And they beat um, Green Bay beat them by 40 points. I think Minnesota can be in danger of being one-dimensional on offense. Um, you know, they've let Dalvin Cook go. Cousins is a perfectly serviceable middle-of-the-road quarterback, but are they going to set the Heather on fire in the NFC? I don't think they are. The defense was a huge question mark. Have they done enough to address that? I don't think they have, but I don't think that that means that they're probably, in my view, I think they're still the favorites for the division. They, they should be. I, yeah. I... I They've got the best player in the division by a mile. Yes. And that but, counts for a hell of a lot. Yeah. It's just... I, maybe I'm going to be proven 
to be a massive idiot and we're going to be sat there at an event late in the year and the Lions will have like won this division with games to spare. But it's just absolutely bonkers to me that a Vikings team who, okay, were a bit overrated last year and were found out in the playoffs, but still have the players on offense to move the ball. They they added a new number two wide receiver who's probably going to be better than Adam Thielen was for them. Um, they've got Hawkinson, who they got from the Lions, who, although he's got um, a sore back or something just now, I've just noticed, like they have players there that can, they can score a lot of points. It's just wild to me that we're trusting a Jared Goff-led offense to, according to the odds, easily win that division. Yeah, I mean, my concern from is obviously the the schedule. They start at Tampa, they then go to Philadelphia, they host the Chargers, they're at Carolina. Now, they could start 3-1 and one there, then they've got Kansas, then they've got the Bears and the 49ers. They've got a lot of big hitters coming up there. I'm not sure their defense is, is quite good enough. Let's talk about the Lions. We've touched on, you know, Jared Goff and whether we think he's good enough or not. They started one and six. They went eight and two to finish. But there's, there wasn't all the signs that they fixed the defense all that well. And that to me still remains the big concern for them that they are going to ship a lot of points. You can't just play catch up all the time. And it, the reason that they missed the playoffs is because they lost some ridiculous shootout to Seattle. It was like 50 45 or something, wasn't it? So if you want to if you want to win in the NFL you have to be able to show consistently that you can play at certain points on both sides of the ball you can't just keep throwing the ball down the field and eventually hoping it's going to come off for you i i i wonder whether jared goff did something to gordon though in a previous life i mean uh, <laughs> i i think you know we forget jared goff is actually i mean he's he's pretty boring isn't he would he be good in a shanahan offense Maybe, but he wasn't so like so. He had his moments in the McVeigh <laughs> offense, but then he had he had his moments where everything went to shit. So, like, I, so that's why he's just prone to making mistakes. I hmm. see. I don't. I don't think the word boring's right. I think the word deficient's right. And to me, it's not efficient it, enough. Efficient or deficient? Because <laughs> I'd argue it's the, I'd argue it's the latter. Well, I, I just don't think he's efficient enough. But we'll see. No. Anyway, guys, neither do I. I agree. Yeah. I, and and there's the problem. Now, everybody's saying, and Charles, you mentioned that, that if you were to ask 100 people uh, who would win the division, you might get 30 as the tops. We are going to have to, at this stage, decide who's going to win. So, gents, I'm going to look for your one, two, three, four rundown mm. for the NFC North. So last year, just to give you time to think, Vikings 13 and 4. The Lions nine and eight, the Packers eight and nine, and the Bears three and fourteen. What was interesting was the Vikings owned home field advantage. They're eight and one. Um, the Lions and the Packers could only go five and four, so both need to improve their home form. Charles, it is your division, so you're going to have mm. to give me the one, two, three, and four. Um, and I'm thinking about the NFC generally here. I think it might be the same order as last year. I'm going to go Vikings, Lions, Packers, Bears, and I think the Vikings are going to drop three from last year. I think I, I can see them winning the division with ten games, and I can see it being really close ten, maybe ten, nine, eight at the top, and Chicago maybe up to six. So that's my view at the moment. But I think you could coin flip the top three. Gordon. Uh I agree. I think you can probably coin flip 
the top three. I would go Minnesota, Green Bay, Detroit, and then Chicago. I will say the Chicago thing, it's Justin Fields is the X factor. Is if he if he's even twenty percent better as a passer than he was last year and is still as good a runner, then they'll threaten to win this division as well. But right now you don't know that. So Excellent. Uh, I've gone Vikings, Green Bay, Lions, and Bears. So to everybody who's listening to this, this is Stramash, the NFL Scotland podcast. Please don't be upset where we've placed your team because we never get it right. We've no track history of getting these things right. So <laughs> please just smile smugly at whatever machine is playing this podcast and say, you morons, you won't have it right. The chances are we don't, but and if, that's and if just you're, the way it goes. And if you're a Lions fan... Don't feel too bad because if Cameron was here instead of being eight whiskeys deep or maybe ten whiskeys deep by this point in the Bonahaven warehouse, he would he would almost definitely be picking the Lions. He is a he's a Jared Goff truther. He thinks the Lions are going to be good. So, you know, just because if, he's not here, that's why. And if you're a Chicago Bears fan and you're wondering why am I still picking on you, then you're an idiot. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've just decided that if Cameron ever had a rock band, it'd be called Ten Whiskeys Deep. I think it's a great name for a band. So I don't know if Cameron can sing. He can certainly project very loudly, but I don't know whether... He, he, he might be projectile that. vomiting very loudly at this rate. <laughs> I, know, I know he's got no equipment, but I was still going to get him to do the intro from, from wherever he is at the moment, because I could probably have <laughs> picked it up on my microphone, but I'll, I'm just being unkind. Right, let's move to the AFC North, where Gordon obviously obviously has a vested interest. But Gordon, I mean, I'm, thanks for coming on tonight because I didn't think you would. Um, obviously, with the, the pre-season ending in such a horrible way, your run of being pre-season champions ended by, let's hear it for the Washington Commanders. Who local didn't local who, rivalry game. They, they, didn't, they did not care about the pre-season streak, the Washington Commanders. They thought it was stupid, didn't remotely care about it. And then when they won that game, their kicker was throwing up L's and they were celebrating. Good for them. I, I, <laughs> what, one, I, I really enjoyed that long preseason streak. I think it was incredibly funny. It meant obviously very, very little because it doesn't count for anything. You don't win championships, but it was a really weird, fun stat. And also, I was entirely confident they were losing that game. Cameron isn't here, so I can talk about the fact I placed money on it and won some extra money on them to win. Oh. It, was, it was it was Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, their starter this year, a starter for the Browns last year, going against the Ravens' third and fourth string quarterback. That was easy, easy money. I will say though, take the preseason streak all the way to this all and throw that off to the side. I'm a little bit scared about this division this year. Mm. Quite rightly so. Uh, just just to, before we leave that uh, preseason game, I don't know if you saw the that the commander's owner Josh Harris went into the Monday Night Football booth uh, with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And if you've not seen this on Twitter, you've got to watch it. Um, Joe Buck is trying to make a point, and he actually holds out his hand to make the point. And the new owner thought he was being offered a handshake and tried to shake it as he was taking it away. It's one of the most awkward moments in television you've seen in a long, long time. And Troy Aitken is trying not to piss himself laughing live on air. Let's get to the proper stuff, though. Bengals, Steelers, Ravens and Browns. Charles, does our colleague have every right to feel nervous about how this division is going to go? Oh, 
I think he should be utterly terrified. This was the division that I have been looking forward to the most because um, it is without a doubt the most difficult, in my view, in the entire NFL. Everyone talks about the AFC East. This is far, far more difficult to win. It's a dirtier division. They all hate each other. I mean, Gordon hates everybody, but everybody in the division in particular, they all they even seem to have grudges left, right, and center. You see helmets swinging at people's heads. Um, listen, there's a bit of class in there too. I the the thing for me about this division and the the biggest we talked about the X factor of Justin Fields. The biggest X factor in this division is Deshaun Watson. And unfortunately, I think whether or not he is a good player now, again, is perhaps that that will be a major, major telling point and a major marker post in this season. Because if he is back to what we saw with him in Houston before all the nonsense, pre-COVID, all that kind of that stuff, then I think that he is the best quarterback in the division. And I think that he makes Cleveland a viable threat to win the AFC. If he is what he was before it all went wrong, and there's been no evidence of that. I mean, they've they've spent record amounts of money and got castigated quite rightly for what they've done to get him to go to Cleveland. But he was thought of as one of the top three players in the league. He was an ad-libbing, brilliant quarterback in Houston. And then it's all gone south in the last four years. And there are suggestions that he might be getting back to his best. He's got the parts around him in defense. He's got the parts around him on offense, arguably the best running back in the league, a couple of good wide receivers, good offensive line. It's all there. Just got is have we got are we gonna see the best of him? If not, then it's a it's a dogfight between the other three. If not, I think Cleveland are potentially the best team in that division all round. It's, Gordon, they will they, they will benefit from a fourth place schedule. That yeah, that's the other the, thing too. That, that's that's the scary thing for me. You know, I mean, you flip it; they were two wins off Pittsburgh, three off Baltimore. But it is that bottom place schedule. They could gobble up wins out with the division, and even if they could just split with the others, that might be enough. It could be. I the Deshaun Watson thing. He's only thrown three passes this preseason, and the average depth of target on those is literally the line of scrimmage. Um, I is he is done? It, I guess the question is, is he done? I like he might be. Or like your point is, so he the the range of outcomes for Deshaun Watson this season is probably as wide as any quarterback that we've had in the NFL in a in a while in terms of like what we could realistically expect. He was objectively bad last year, probably one of the three worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL when he came back in the second half of the year before. And I, I'm not as bullish on the high level. Like, I think at, at his best, as long as Joe Burrow's fully healthy, I think Joe Burrow's better than him. Um, I think he could be second best quarterback in this division if he's back to his absolute best. But it's been a long time since he was there. Mm. And a lot of stuff's happened off the field. Like, I, until he shows that he is that he is a good quarterback again, I... You know, I just don't think you can put a whole lot of faith in it. The really interesting thing will be uh, the the guy they drafted out of UCLA in the fourth round looked pretty good this preseason. I, I he's not he's not going to be reach the same level as Lamar 
or Burrow. This is the question. This Watson had done it season after season. He did it three seasons on the bounce, and he proved it. So he, there's something. I think this goes beyond quarterback skills. I think this is a psychological thing, potentially. We know physically he's a good quarterback. We know that he can throw the ball. Psychologically, he looked shot to bits last year, perhaps of everything that's gone on. So has he been psychologically rebuilt by Cleveland? Because that, for me, if they're smart, that's the work that they've done with him. And that's the X factor. I mean, it's now... He threw 170 passes last year. In competitive Mm. games, that's all he's thrown since 2020, since the end Mm. of the 2020 season, which, where, to be fair, he was very good. That was his best season. So... I, but the, the guy they drafted in the fifth round, if he plays the way, if, if Deshaun Watson plays the way he played last year, uh, Thompson Robinson will play in 2023. Do they not have too much money in them to bench him? No. The the Browns, the Browns are smart enough that... So there was a thing recently, what the Browns and the Eagles are doing that no one else is just now, is they are restructuring... And it's not it's not the same way the Saints were doing it, but they're restructuring and they're kicking they're they're kicking the can down the road a little bit. But they're doing it in a way whereby so the Browns right now are projected to have, I think it's like minus fifty five million in salary cap room next year. But what they've done is is they've freed up ninety three million this year, which they can roll over into next year. So the Browns will be able to offset that salary cap next year and what i think is really interesting about their like long-term roster building strategy is they can kind of do that until they get to the point where they have their first round picks back again and you can because like one of the biggest issues with the watson trade is you you miss out on those first round picks that are potentially high value high quality players at cheap prices so in doing the kind of playing around with the salary cap that they're doing, they give themselves those opportunities. Now, why doesn't every team in the NFL do that? Well, because it costs you. Like you, you can actually manufacture 10% more cap space than anyone else in the NFL if your owner is willing to pay it. You just have to be willing to spend that extra, what, like 25 to $30 million or something like that. And Jimmy Haslam right now is. The Eagles have been willing to do that. So like that's... But they, they're a team who... Because of the way they make decisions, if they if they just decide that the Watson thing's not going to work, and they can find so it's a little bit like the Lance thing with Brock Purdy. If they if they hit on Thompson Robinson, by the time he needs to be paid again, Deshaun Watson's no longer your your problem on the salary cap. So there there's ways they can get around it. Is it is it the worst deal that they they ever signed? I think since what was it the Mets famously signed Bobby Bonilla. And you know he's still getting paid a million quid a year at the moment, and all the way through to twenty thirty five, and he hasn't played for them since two thousand and nine. Well, it's only um, a bad deal if if he turns out he's a complete flop. This is the question. It's like you you don't know until you you you, you see whether or not he can he can do it. That's the, at the moment he's still their starting quarterback. At the moment he is still Deshaun Watson, um, who has been a good quarterback in the NFL. The, I mean the price tag was ridiculous. That's the problem. You're, they were buying a, a, they were buying on reputation, which is ironic, given his reputation was in the dirt. <laughs> but um, you know, you were buying, you were investing in the 2019-2020 Deshaun Watson, and they haven't seen that yet. So 
I mean, look, the bottom line is if it's if it's going badly, Kevin Stefanski is going, he's getting fired before they get rid of Deshaun Watson. That's the first thing. Um, I I think that the schedule helps them massively. The division doesn't because it's an absolute pitchfork fight the moment you get out there against the other three teams. So I just think he is an X factor because I think there's a great unknown about um, what happens if he's good. Shit, suddenly there's four good teams in division, not three. Here's here's a really weird thing about this division based on where they've been historically. I think there's an X factor in three uh, that that defines the season for three out of the four teams. And the team whereby I don't think there is an X factor, I think they're just going to be good. And whether or not they finish first, second, or third in the division, they'll still be a threat to go all the way, is the Bengals. I, as long as as long as Joe Burrow doesn't get hurt, the Bengals will be a playoff team, and it doesn't matter if they're a one seed or a seven seed. They can they're, beat anybody. They're they're a threat to beat anyone. Whereas I think yeah. Baltimore, you look at it's Lamar Jackson and the new offense. If that's really good, then they get back to Lamar MVP levels. They can beat anyone. The Steelers, it's the Kenny Pickett factor, and I think the Steelers are going to be pretty good this year. Because Kenny Pickett looks pretty good. Um, so that's the X factor that can lift them up. The Bengals, I just think, are gonna be they're gonna be good. And they're they, hmm. this as well, like this is a little bit of their it's not their last chance, but all the contracts are coming due. And even if they do go down the route whereby they do resign Burrow, they do resign Chase, and they do resign Higgins, that's great, and I think it'd be really interesting to see because it shapes what they do in the rest of the roster. They've they've made loads of really good signings. They've got good value at linebacker. They've got good value in the secondary. All those things. Same up front and defensive line. But they could also lose Lou Amaruno, the defensive coordinator, after this year. So things get a little bit harder for them to maintain their high level, I think, after this year when they have to start paying a lot of those contracts. Um, They're about a year behind Buffalo. Buffalo, I think, have just tipped over that year, if you know what I mean. I think a lot of people felt yeah. that Buffalo's year was last year, and now they're going to find it more and more difficult. Whereas I think you can see that Cincinnati are coming to the boiling point. And of course, they're always going to be a contender. I just, every year you see a team, you can see them being consistently good with 10, 11, 12 wins every year. I don't think there's any question of that. The difficulty is, though, that you do play in a division where the other Certainly, two of the other three teams are consistently above five hundred. Yeah. So that and it's an, it's attritional when you think about it that way. You're playing four games against Pittsburgh and Baltimore. That's hard. That is tough. And as much as I mentioned Cleveland, you know, have the softer schedule from finishing fourth. I mean, they they see. I think within the first four games, they see all their divisional opponents. That's going to be really tough. Makes for great television. Makes for great watching. I would, it, I'd put them on telly every week if I, if it was me picking the games. I would stick them on every week. I think they'll be brilliant. I. So the other thing with this division, so not being hyperbolic, the Ravens losing Marlon Humphrey for, and it might only be two weeks. It might be four weeks. But in a division this strong, losing any star player for four weeks could be season-defining. If the Bengals were to lose Jamar Chase for four weeks, like it it might be the difference in two wins if there's divisional things. If the Ravens lose, you know, Humphrey, I, it, it totally changes how the start of that season looks. 
Yeah, it's actually going to be scary because, you know, you look at this and it, it's easy to say that, you know, the Steelers with Kenny Pickett, you know, he could actually prove to be very good. You know, he's been one of these quiet ones. He's working in a good organisation. They coach well. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Steelers won this division. It also wouldn't surprise me if they finished bottom. It's just one of these really weird things. And as I say, I think if we were to look at this, say, at the end of September, and as Gordon says, Charles, if, if, if two or three teams have lost a couple of players, that could be it for them, such as the fine margins. I, I don't. I, I disagree because I think I certainly three of the teams are, are well coached enough that they're not going to bottom out. I think we, we know what John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin can do as coaches. And I think Zach Taylor has got the talent there I mean, if if all his stars go down, then what do you do? Yeah. I, I do believe, you know, I, they, all but three eight, teams are eight able and to... Nine, eight and nine hmm. might be fourth in this division, which is where... Yeah. So yeah. The, the only team I think are are not finishing fourth in this division are the Bengals, um, as long as Burrow's healthy, because I think that that keeps them enough that they're a 10-win team, and that's you know that's not bottom in the division. The, the fact that the Ravens are already... And this is... It looks like Burrow's going to be back for week one, um, at which point I think they're fine. The Ravens already starting with the injury to Humphrey um, and some uncertainty about what that offense is going to look like. You know, like the for years, Ravens fans blamed Greg Roman for everything. Greg Roman built an incredible running game, an incredible offense that fitted around Lamar Jackson. It was an offense powered by Lamar, but that saw him break the single season quarterback rushing record and and lead the NFL in touchdown passes in the same season. Like genuinely, we probably will never see a statistical outlier season like that again. And everyone still blamed everything on Greg Roman. Now, I think the offense had to evolve and they didn't evolve and all those things. But if that offense involves less rushing by Lamar this year, which I think it looks like it's probably going to, it's not going to be eliminated, but it's going to be less than it was before. There's now more pressure on him to produce as a passer. They've they've drafted the wide receivers there. He is not a consistent downfield thrower. So there's going to be points this season where the Ravens have an open receiver downfield. Lamar's going to get excited and he's going to miss him. Mm. And again, in a division this tight, a couple of bounces of the ball, a couple of things can can sway things massively. So, you know, it's with the exception of the Bengals, I think anyone can finish bottom in this division. I do think any 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 of the four of them, I think, could finish the, as the division champions, though. Well, we are going to have to get your thoughts on what the numbers one, two, three, and four are going to be in those terms. But I think everything I've read on the division, and we've touched on it here, is is, is linking on two questions. What is the Ravens' offense going to look like? And what is Deshaun Watson going to do but I think the other the other changes I think Cleveland have changed some of their defensive coaches as well and that's to me that's an interesting move because it, they're not just going to say that Deshaun Watson's going to be the guy who's going to score us loads of points they're also looking at that side of the ball because obviously they had big concerns so I, 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 do, I just I, do, I think the most fascinating team out the four are the Browns because I've no idea what they're going to be hmm. and, and on either side of the ball, and that's what fascinates me the most. Well, two things that I wanted to just go back to. First of all, Kenny Pickett and this idea that he's gone under the radar, or that he nobody takes him seriously, or that he's you know there's this theory that he's not good because he was 
picked lower down in the first round in what was seen as a bad quarterback class. We talked about systems earlier on with my, with the Shanahan offense and, and quarterbacks that fit. Kenny Pickett um, has landed in not just the fact that, you know, he's obviously the local boy. He's landed yeah. in the perfect situation for him. And he's, act, I mean, it, it, it's one of those whereby he can't actually do much wrong, I don't think, in that system. He will be able, because of the coaching setup and because it is so well honed, he will always, I think, be able to do pretty well in there. If he has got a bit of stardust, then there's a real opportunity there for Pittsburgh. And the second thing that I wanted to to kind of just get Gordon's view on it a little bit. I mean, I take I take a pop at Lamar for for passing his passing skills here and there sometimes in jest. But my bigger question is, has, has John Harbaugh forgotten how to win playoff games? No. And, well, they've won one playoff game since 2017. And they regularly get to the playoffs. And I, my question is this, are they good enough when they get back to the playoffs, which I think they will this year, are they good enough to go through the playoffs and win it? Yes. Uh and- One, I don't think as a coach you forget how to win the playoffs. Um, interestingly, like the the Ravens team that won the Super Bowl was not the best Joe Flacco Ravens Ravens team, and the twenty nineteen team that lost the Titans in the divisional round were a better team than they were. But even though they didn't win the game, if you want to find out whether or not John Harbaugh knows how to coach in the playoffs, I'll direct you to the fact that save for a Tyler Huntley goal line fumble on a quarterback sneak that he had no business stretching when he stretched, they yep. probably beat the Bengals in Cincinnati with a backup quarterback. Because they they could and they played they played playoff football in that game. Really tough defense. Freak play, you know, fair play to the Bengals, but that stuff like that. But this this is the beauty of the AFC or the the nightmare of the AFC this year. The Ravens might get to the playoffs and not win a game because it's Kansas City, it's Buffalo, it's Cincinnati, it's Pittsburgh. Like, I just wonder is there is there an X factor there? We talk uh, it's a, such a bloody cliche. We were talking about them earlier on, but is there who out of those four teams has got the guy that can win it for them when they're up? It, they're, when they're basically in that playoff mire in the AFC, because you can pick ten teams in the AFC that could go to the Super Bowl. I think on paper yeah I, I don't know if i'm at 10 but yeah there's like there are mm. there are more there i think more all four of those teams in the afc north potentially could go to the championship game yes. and maybe beyond I, yeah i do think so I've, I've no problem with harbour i think sometimes you get a bad rep because you lose some playoff games you're getting there in the first place which is more than some other coaches do and some of these coaches might fly under the radar whereas you know you're getting your team there if it doesn't quite work I mean I think that was probably true of the Bengals for a number of years um, who was the Bengals coach that kept getting them there and couldn't win it on, with Andy Dolan? Marv Lewis yeah, yeah you know you know, he was a good coach but everybody looked at his, his record I remember reading the book about uh, written by Clark Carlisle the, the English lower league footballer 
and he said, you know, we, you know, we'd battle and scrap and we'd finish sort of 14th, 15th in the division. You know, you'd get a wee thanks from the chairman. You get a team that'd been shit all season but got themselves out of relegation, you know, in the final day of the season with a last-minute goal and the chairman's flying them off on holiday to Magaluf as if they've done something brilliant. You know, it's not all, you know, success is measured in, in different ways. So let's measure success in terms of how the AFC North is going to go. I am going to go, I I, I find it too hard to look past the Bengals. I think the Ravens, I like what they've done uh, with the additions, but I'm a little bit worried about potential injuries. I'm going Bengals, Ravens, Browns and Steelers, but they could all end up with a winning record or the Steelers at worst in eight and nine at the bottom. Gordon. Uh Bengals, Ravens, and I'm basing that on Burrow being back for week one and the Ravens losing Humphrey. Steelers third, Browns fourth. I I'm gonna I, I'm gonna put my I'm gonna plant my flag. Deshaun Watson's not good anymore, and Dorian Thompson Robinson starts a football game this year for the Browns. Okay. That's that's an interesting goal. I happen to think Deshaun Watson will be good. I think there's something in there, but back, back. Gordon likes burgers. I'm so, not that caught. Might do a tater top bet. There you go. All right. Um, so what, what's the bet that, because you can't really bet, it's it's arbitrary whether or not Deshaun Watson's good or not, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson starts a game not, 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 due, due, to, not, due, not due to injury. Yeah, Deshaun Watson gets benched for Dorian Thompson-Robinson at some point. That's my... Well, that, that that's the bet, because, you know, if, if they've won games and he comes in to start, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're, yeah, Deshaun Watson, yeah, right? There's tater tots on that one. Charles, how are you going in terms of division? I'm delighted you went for that because I brought up this Sean Watson debate. Um, I am going to go Bengals, Steelers, Ravens, Browns, and I think the Steelers. And the Ravens both reach the playoffs. Playoff teams. Oh, right. That is our preview of the NFC North and the AFC North. A few stories just before we go. Uh, The Eagles, we had hoped to have Ian Stephen on the podcast. He's been able to make it because he's working. Jason Kelsey being naughty against the Colts and having to start fights and cheap-shotting someone and then coming out with a mea culpa. Is this an interesting story, Gordon, or do we just get this every year and it's just a different person that does it? Get it every year and we're going to get it more and more every year as joint practice has become more and more of a thing. The joint practice thing, though, is a fad that will fade when we get a couple of season-ending injuries. Same way, so pre-season, we'll do do these scrimmages, we'll not play our starters in pre-season because... Our starters are getting season-ending injuries in pre-season. At some point, we'll see a few season-ending injuries from these joint practices, and all of a sudden, then it's going to be, oh, let's let's roll that back a little bit and let's play the guys in pre-season. Yeah, it was it was a kind of a cheap shot, but yeah, I agree with you on there. Corey Davis, the Jets wide receiver, is stepping away from football, which is giving the fact you know all the hype is about the Jets and the quarterback and things. So it's it's he's clearly not getting any passes from Rogers. He's just chucking balls to Randall Cobb instead. That's just Rogers yeah. being a knob again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll touch on Rogers. Har- yeah, we'll we'll touch on Rogers and hard knocks uh, another time. Uh, Chris Jones is holding out in Kansas, and he's he's looking at the moment, according to him, but coming back in week eight, so he gets he, he gets paid, he gets eligibility. Well, it, 
But let's not say he's lying because he might have lawyers, and this is a podcast that doesn't have deep pockets. We need we need we need Cameron to have a hit record with ten whiskeys deep yes. to fund that one. Um, he he may not be telling us quite the full story, Gord. He may be he may be using that tweet as a negotiating ploy. Yeah. <laughs> It'll certainly be very interesting. Guys, anything else catching your eye in the wonderful world of American football? Just to want to throw out there to any um, NFL players out there who are seeking um, some uh, social media guidance uh, on how to like tweets and not like tweets and whether or not, you know, I mean, the media training should be par for the course for these guys at that level. Um, But in case you missed it, Trayvon Diggs has obviously realised he doesn't know how to like a tweet and then real appreciate that 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 becomes public because uh, he did like a post featuring a woman wearing an adult sex toy. Um, this has obviously gone around the world and viral. He's unliked it, but there is a caption there. Um, what do you say to that? He's bored. It's the off season. He's clearly not starting the preseason games. Fill your boots, Trevon. <laughs> a reminder: that you're, unless your account is private, your likes are not private. So be. Be aware that, you know, we we do try and pass on this kind of you know advice as we are broadcasters. We do know how social media works. The, the other yeah. actual <laughs> NF, actual NFL story is uh, Jonathan Taylor, the, the Colts. The Colts they're allowing him to seek a trade, but they've given him until Tuesday. Uh, That's generous so of them. Apparently, there's six teams interested. A couple of teams have made offers. I I'm really interested to see who winds up trading for him, um, for a couple of reasons. One. Like Miami, potentially, I think could be interesting. Chicago could be interesting, um, but who has given up more than a third round pick when you also are going to have to probably make him the highest paid running back in the NFL or close to it? Like it's not, it's not just the pick, right? If you were trading, but they're so undervalued though. It's actually not that big a contract, really, when well, you think about it. Yeah, well. I mean, <laughs> second or third highest paid would be fifteen million a year, I think. But you, so you imagine if you're the Bengals and you could trade a second round pick for Jonathan Taylor this season, you probably can't even franchise him next year. But like, he he could make the marginal difference in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs if that's how the season winds down. So like, I that's one of the things we'll buy. Like finding that ma- marginal value with running backs that I think potentially makes sense. If I had to make a prediction on the Jonathan Taylor stuff, it's that another AFC team trades for him and they do it closer to the trade deadline. And it is someone like the Bengals or the Dolphins who's in playoff contention and they say, We'll give you a second round pick. And he comes in and he runs for them at the end of the season. Yeah, he starts in Indianapolis for me. There is no question that he starts in Indianapolis. There is nobody is going to come in and pay him the big bucks, not certainly at this stage. You've been listening to Stramash, the podcast of the NFL Scotland team. We're getting ready for the start of the season. We've got a great event coming up in Glasgow at Top Golf. The sold out signs are already up for that one. And if you've already got a ticket, we look forward to seeing you then. But do join us again next week where we're going to be talking all things Arizona Cardinals. We might mention the other oh, seven teams along God. the way. But it's going to be a real deep dive on the Arizona Cardinals. Join us for that. My thanks to Charles, to Gordon. And from me, thanks for listening. Bye for now. And please remember to listen to Sipping Point, hosted by Cameron Hobbs.
and his new band, Ten Whiskeys Deep. 